people's best skill set are in the interpersonal connections, right? So if they're doing something that doesn't require interpersonal connection, chances are there is a technology out there that can help remove that off the plate or at least augment it and automate a lot of it. Automation is the end goal, right? Where we don't have a human doing it. But even in the short term, where automation isn't practical for every step of the place, there's still thing where you can go in and do cost reduction. You have to spend a lot more time with these patients. There's a lot more conversations to be had with them. If I fall and chip my tooth right now, there's no conversation needed. When can you see me? My tooth is chipped <laughs> and someone's going to get me in. And if they don't, I'm going. Everybody struggles with the funnel because the people who are responsible for it don't have the time or don't take the time to do the follow-up that's required. Welcome back to this special edition of the Full Arch Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more Full Arch cases so you can grow the way that you want. And today, this special series is really going to help you grow because we have a special guest who is going to be working with us with several of our other guests, and her name is Margaret. Margaret is the founder and chief advisor of i3 Ignite and is an implant marketing and operational genius. She actually was the former Clear Choice COO for many, many years, and she helped them scale from the ground up. So this is going to be a set of shows that are really going to help you and your practices grow around Full Arch, so you're going to want to stay tuned. In today's episode, Margaret and I are going to interview Tanner Applegate, who's the founder of Unify, and we're going to be talking about implant-focused technology. Stay tuned. So there are a lot of technology things that are going on right now that are so exciting, Tanner, and especially when you think about full arch practices. So um, how can technology help a practice that's doing full arch cases? So that's a good question, uh, Margaret. I, I feel like in general right now, the use of technology is there to help solve a problem for other issues as well, right? Technology by itself is a tool to augment the people that are doing the processes and systems in the practice, right? And so as we look at the processes and systems that need to get done in a full arch practice, really what you're doing is you're taking a regular general dental office and elevating it where everything needs to be done kind of at top of its class because you're not doing two, $300 cases, right? You're doing potentially tens of thousands of dollars of cases, right? And so whenever you do something, it needs to be done in its best. And so a lot of the technology that we're seeing that are helping subsidize these processes in the offices are saying, you know what, let's take these processes and help them do it to the best. So let me give you an example. Um, once you present a treatment, you have to follow up with that treatment, right? Not everybody's going to sign day one. And following up with it is not always something that a lot of offices do consistently well. Right. And so as we look at the technology that a full arch office can do in order to help augment that uh, example would be there's a lot of AI um, video recording out there where you can record yourself as a doctor to say, hey, John, I know that we chatted. Let's just check it in to see how things are going. Right. You record that once and now all of a sudden they take John's name and then replace it with every single patient that you're following up with. So now the patient feels like they're getting a personalized contact from the doctor. But in reality, it's AI augmenting this, this uh, persona of the doctor so they are presenting that personal case. So again, now all of a sudden you don't have to have these team members doing every single call. You're actually having the doctor do it and it's, it's making it a lot more personal. And powerful. Mm -hmm. And I've actually started to augment that type of approach with 
um, some clients where we're now doing a welcome call before they even come to their appointment um, that basically says, hey, you know, really looking forward to seeing you, know that we can help, you know, can help you get get the results that you want. Um, so I think that's such important. I think that's just such a great use of technology. Yeah. The the trend, I guess, that what I would say is that I'm seeing is that people's best skill set are in the interpersonal connections, right? So if they're doing something that doesn't require interpersonal connection, chances are there is a technology out there that can help remove that off the plate or at least augment it and automate a lot of it. Right. And so, yes, I mean, when you're out there doing those personal connections and touches, as long as you don't have like as long as you do have to do that personal connection, then don't put in a technology necessarily in there. But if you can remove that personal connection piece of it, there's technology out there to support that. Hey, I got something crazy to share with you, and I'm going to get you right back to the show, I promise. So we have an event called AlignerCon coming up next year. And this month, we're giving away a buy one, get one free. We're going to be partnering with Clear Correct, and this is going to be one of the biggest events that we've ever done in Nashville, Tennessee, in the biggest hotel in America. So if you want to come to this, again, we're going to give you a buy one, get one free. We want to meet you in person. Just go to alinercon.com, and we're going to teach you how to create, convert, close, and even some clinical components around Clear Aligners. So don't miss this event. Go check it out now. Back to the show. So how do you think about things like um, kiosk check-ins, things that, that would suggest that you need maybe fewer people in the practice, but you still want high-tech, high-touch? Yeah, so that's where I think the kiosk is a great example of that, right? It is, I have to make sure that the patient's there. I have to make sure that they have all the information that we need to do the appointment. Right? There's no interpersonal like connection there. So as long as you can have that done by technology, now you can have somebody come in and say, hey, John, looks like we are all checked in, everything, okay, great. Um, you just hang tight here, right? Like now all of a sudden the person's not sitting there typing in all that information, the patient's able to do that on their own through these kiosks. It's not a waste of your team member's time, but then you're still adding that heel and moon element to make sure that it's augmented and still not completely set aside. One one thought here, um, Tanner and, and Margaret, I would love your thoughts on this too, especially because of all the practices that you work with. How do you guys, so people hear these things, right? So I've watched like podcasts before and I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds awesome. And then I go, I just saw one recently, a, a marketing CMO just laid out this whole marketing plan, all these softwares. And I went to start to go Google some of it and I couldn't even find two or three of the companies that he's talking about. I was, so it's like, I kind of get stuck. So what's an easy way that, or something easy that people can start with? Cause I feel like most offices are nowhere even touching a lot of these automations. So how, do, how does, Tanner, we can start with you and then Margaret, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. How can an office like practically do some of this stuff? I mean, to me, I think that there's, automation is the end goal, right? Where we don't have a human doing it. But even in the short term where automation isn't practical for every step of the place, there's still thing where you can go in and do cost reduction, right? So if you're saying our revenue cycle process is something that is taking up a lot of team members' time, we can actually outsource that or offshore that mm. right so now all of a sudden it's not necessarily the technology that's making that better but it's also the fact that we're reducing costs on that which will free up then the ability to be able to do a lot more of these hyper personal touches so, so the question that the audience should ask themselves is 
what can be automated either by outsourcing or buying a piece of software or working with a third party that frees your team up to do the only thing that people outside can't do. There's certain things in the dental office people outside can't do, like treat the patient or greet the patient and stuff like that. So that that's very practical. What are your thoughts, Margaret? What are you seeing offices do that's like practical from this standpoint? I think I'm going to echo Tanner's um, first comment, follow-up, because revenue cycle management is critical in every single practice. But because 95% plus of cases are, are, are fee-for-service, then it, the revenue cycle management is somewhat less important in um, in a practice that's doing full arch. But number one, I would say do RCM if you haven't done it already. Um, and number two, I really think is answering the phone. Because so in a full arch practice, whether you're doing referral-based or direct consumer-based marketing, boy, if, if you don't have really well-trained people who understand how to answer the phones well, then you're you lose a ton of your potential patients. Yeah. And um you pay you're paying a lot to generate that lead. And you do not want to have it fall apart um by the person answering at the front desk. And there I think there's some interesting AI things that are being done in that area right now. Um as well as other other companies like Patient Prism that are are doing great work in that arena. Yeah, I agree. The it's what most people I think especially for GP offices don't realize about full arch is that it's a longer buying cycle meaning you have to spend a lot more time with these patients. There's a lot more conversations to be had with them. If I fall and chip my tooth right now, there's no conversation needed. When can you see me? My tooth is chipped <laughs> and someone's going to get me in and if they don't, I'm going to the next office. With full arch, it's more of a life-changing decision that you're you're having longer conversations, we have actually measured this. For every $5,000 that you put in towards full arch marketing, you need somebody who's investing two hours a day of lead nurturing. And 5,000 is a drop in the bucket for full arch. Like that's that's a very, very small budget. Um, 10,000 is like just kind of like a beginner budget. So if you're going to start with $10,000 at one practice, someone needs to be investing four hours a day following up with those people. And it's not just answering the phone. It's also calling back and getting back in front of them. And some of that can be automated. Some of it can't. Um, and so yet, right? Yeah. So I, right. I find that fascinating, uh, that that side of the full arch game. Yeah. I think to expand on that too, Gary, even though it can't be automated, it can be augmented. Thank right. You. And so if you were to go in and automatically, every time somebody says, okay, well, I'm interested in this, but I don't know, I'm going to talk to my wife and they hang up, right? They can go and enter into a cycle then that says, hey, these are the people that we need to send contacts to, or these are the people that we need to call, which then enter a cycle of like, hey, here's a task that this person needs to do within your office. And so you're not manually keeping track of it in some written notebook. Um, there's a lot of technology that says, here's what you can go and do. Here's the people that you need to follow up with today. right? And those are the type of tasks that I think that technology helps support and augment. And so you're not sitting there wasting time and energy doing it. Yeah, that's so true. Another thing, so like what you just described is a little bit of a CRM and then also a marketing funnel in there a little bit. And marketing funnels go all the way through after even the patient accepts treatment. 
And one thing, so a lot of times people are like, well, how do I build a, a funnel? Like, what should I, where should, do I get that content from? I think um, going, putting yourself in other people's funnels. So I go out and tell all these bigger uh, DSOs that do a lot of marketing and I just put my email in, put my phone number in and they text me, they call me, they email me. Um, and and I, we have Margaret here too. I know when you guys, when you worked um, in doing full large Margaret, you guys did a ton of marketing. Was, would, would, do you have any thoughts around uh, that side of it? Like how, how to, I know, I know it's changed. It's, it changes every year, right? So it's changed so much. But what, what are your thoughts on um, that side of it? Like the funnels and things like that? So I still have a ton of implant center clients, a ton. Um, and they, some of them are startups and some of them are well-established. Um, but everybody struggles with the funnel because the people who are responsible for it don't have the time or don't take the time to do the follow-up that's required. And I think there are some, some of these tools that are going to be, that are very powerful for getting through that roadblock in the practice because follow-up is absolutely critical. Um, the other thing I would say is there's some, and you, Jerry can speak to this. There are really interesting things happening at that intersection of technology and lead generation, geofencing, right? When you, it, this may be a little sophisticated for some folk out there, but geofencing is super, I think, applicable to full arch um, and something that um, is totally technology based. Yeah. So let me, let me give the audience like a, an example of that. So put a little flesh on it. So let's say you have uh, your next, you're down the street from Clear Choice, and Clear Choice is spending all this money on marketing out there, right? But they only close, well, I don't know what percentage, I've heard different percentage, but let's just make up a percentage. Let's say they're closing 30%. That means 70% of the people are walking out of that building without treatment. So you can actually draw a circle around their office and run ads to people who've traveled through that area and and get those people to see your practice now and get an opportunity at them. Now, this all might be changing because of new HIPAA laws, and we'll see about that and how that goes. But as of right now, you can still do that. Any thoughts on that, Tanner, about how not to go to jail doing that? No, man. Tech marketing is your world. All I can say is <laughs> I, I build technology and I implement technology around this, and all I hope is that the technology is not going to throw me in jail. So... <laughs> You make sure that that happens when you're building the technology. Um, so how, how do we think about integration? Integration is always such a challenge. How do we think about integration? I think it really goes back to that conversation that we started with where technology is a tool to accomplish a process, right? And what happens, I think, a lot of the times is that people think that the technology is going to solve their process problems. But the reality is that it doesn't. And so they come in, they get the technology and they think the technology is going to self-integrate and all of a sudden everything is going to be fine and the office is going to be fluid and perfect. But the reality is you probably got a process problem there. And so really, if you've got a process problem, you got to go in and fix the process first and then implement the technology in order to augment that process. Right. And so really implementation is a people problem where it is a process like you've got to define the process and work with the people in order to follow this process. And then the tools can help augment what you've already defined. So what are your tips, Tanner, for how to do that better? How to, I think how that, to get 
people to that point. One place to start that I recommend anybody that's trying to figure out this, you always hear the recommendations of like, just write an SOP and everyone will follow the SOP magically in your Google Docs, right? Like, no, that doesn't work. We've all tried, right? My, My recommendation is that I actually start with a process flow, right? So if you get a process map out there and you say, okay, here's a starting point and here are all the steps that our office is going to follow, right? Okay, if this happens, then it branches, et cetera. And there's a lot of a lot of education on on the line for like how to do process diagramming and such. But I always say start with a process diagram because when you look at it visually, you're like, wait, we do this. Why do we do this? Let's not do that. Let's do something else. Or, but you're spending a lot of time doing this step. Let's take that step and actually find a tool that will help you do that so you don't have to, right? So my recommendation is always just step back and look at what's going on by diagramming out through process diagramming what you're doing. I like that a lot, Tanner. That's a really good piece of advice. What are your thoughts, Tanner? Like one thing that we're going through as a company, and I would I would love your thoughts on this because I think it'd be applicable to the listeners, is we have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of SOPs, literally, right? So they're all over the place. And now what we're doing is we're taking all of those and then turning them into playbooks. So you're not going to have hundreds of playbooks. You might only have you know, 20 playbooks or 30 playbooks, but then they're playbooks and they go in order of kind of the customer journey. How, what's your thoughts on offices when it comes to that? Hey, sorry to interrupt the show, but this is a segment that I think is going to bring a lot of value to you. And it's under in two minutes. It's really, really fast. It's called Ask Gary. People have been emailing in their questions to askgary at smcnational.com. And what we do is we just try to quickly answer your questions so you can grow the way that you want. And today's question came from Peter. And he asked, what metrics do I actually want to track when it comes to marketing? Now, in marketing, there's infinite amount of stats. You can track everything and anything now. And there's so many things to track. But from a high level, what you really want to know is this. What is your cost to acquire a new patient walking through your door? How much does that cost you? Is it $100? Is it $200? $300? $500? $1,000? You want to figure that out. And you don't want to know how much it is. You don't want to include your patient referrals into that number. So you should only be looking at the, the patients that were generated from marketing that are coming into your office How much did you spend to get those people to come in? Don't count your patient referrals. Don't count your doctor referrals into that. Then from there, you want to look at what is your cost to generate a new patient lead? Those are two different things. A lead is not a patient and a patient is not a lead. So how much is it for a qualified lead? People who are reaching out to your office that are actually new patients and are qualified that you could have, if you could have got them in, they would have been a great patient how much does it cost you to make that phone ring or to get them to schedule online? Those are the two main numbers that you have to know. If you don't know these numbers and you're doing marketing, you are guessing. And it makes it really hard to actually make decisions of should we do more, should we do less? The other thing to call out is that those two numbers are not just marketing numbers. They also are operational numbers. They help us see how operations is performing as well as how marketing is performing. And then it allows you to get better and work together to improve those numbers. So I hope that helps. Back to the show. To me, your playbook is a sequence of SOPs, right? Not necessarily in chronological order, but it depends on different variables, what's going on in the process. That's the reason why I say I recommend starting with the process diagramming is because once you have a diagram of it, really each one of those steps, that's what your SOPs are, Mm. right? So if you start with the diagram and you recognize, oh, here's the details that you need to do in this step, 
you link that out to your SOP. Now people visually can connect to the process better because it's a lot more succinct in a visual flow and less about pages and pages and pages of the details of what I need to know. I don't know the details right away. I just want to have an understanding of the the global structure of it. Yeah. And I think that allows leaders to step in like a Margaret to come in and be like, no, 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 you're, if I handed Margaret a hundred SOPs for a full arch place, she's just going to like gloss over because it's too much to read through. But if I gave her a diagram and said, here's our process high level, she could instantly go in and say, no, 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 that's out of order. You should have done. And then we can drill down and start solving all the, the finer details. Do you agree with that, Margaret? Or do you see it differently? Totally. And Every client I've ever worked with and the work I did at Clear Choice and the work I've done my entire career is all about starting with the patient journey, dividing that into the key stages, no more than 10 or 12, and then and then outlining the key steps in each one of those stages and then writing SOPs. Because if you don't do it that way, it gets so confusing and you can't figure out the, where these points intersect with each other. And kind of who should be doing what stage and or what steps within a stage. So it's, I think it's really pivotal. My, my favorite is when people don't have a process flow or a diagram of what's going on and they try to make changes, changes to it. And so then you're like verbally communicating and hoping that everyone is understanding the same thing. And then it turns into a Frankenstein process because one person understood the, your verbal communication one way, another one a completely different way. And and now someone, no one's doing the same thing because everybody understood it differently. That's such a good, such a good point, Tanner. Um, let's, uh, do you guys, are you guys, uh, do you have any more questions, Margaret? Um, no, we I do? think that's it. Okay, cool. So let's do some closing thoughts then, and then we'll edit this part out. But let's do some uh, closing thoughts. You want to tee us off with closing thoughts on uh, Margaret and then punch it over to Tanner? In a full arch practice, it's so important to really utilize the technologies that are going to move your practice forward faster. And and Tanner, you have such a great point of view on that and insight into that. So I mean, really just thank you for for um, all the contributions that you're making to full arch practices. Yeah. We appreciate you. No problem. And and kind of I think we opened with this topic and I want to make sure that we we close with it too. Full arch is a, it's very similar to a regular dental office, but you need to be at the top of your game, right? We said that earlier. And so I think that what happens there is that making sure that you understand what your game is. Why do you need to be best at class and helping patients come into the office? Why do you need to be best at class when you're presenting treatment, right? Like understanding what you're doing there, that's where the, starting with what you're doing first and then allowing technology to expand on that is really where I think the key of it all is. But the reality is I think a lot of people jump into this world of full arch without a true understanding of what is it that we are doing in order to be better at it. Right? They don't even start with the basics. And so I think that starting there with the basics and making sure that you're good there before layering on all this automation and stuff is the best way to proceed forward. Totally true. Great stuff, guys. This is a wealth of knowledge and really helpful to the audience. If people want to get in touch with you, Tanner, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, you can connect with me via LinkedIn, pretty active there, uh, Tanner Applegate, or you could email me directly at tanner at unify.dental. And Margaret, how, what's the best way to people, if someone wants help on uh, learning more how to grow their full arch and their practices, how, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Also LinkedIn, Margaret McGucan, 
or um, margaret at i3ignite.com. Awesome, guys. Great job today. Great show. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.